Welcome to another edition of On the Mark with Howard Mark Rubin. Uh, as you know, I'm a senior partner at Getz Fitzpatrick, and I've found that my clients in so many different businesses have been so profoundly affected by this uh, pandemic. And uh, it brought me to a uh, realization that it's not just going to affect us now uh, and as we're coming out of the pandemic, but it's making significant changes for a lot of industries going forward. So I decided to do this podcast series about various industries, mostly based in New York, as to how the pandemic is, has affected those businesses, both short term and how it may or may not be affecting them longer term. Tonight, we're talking about office leasing in New York City, and we have two very prominent uh, speakers. One is uh, Alan Wilds, who, who is a uh, executive uh, director at uh, Cushman & Wakefield, one of the largest uh, real estate uh, companies in New York. Um, over the past 30 years, Alan has successfully completed hundreds of transactions representing clients in leasing commercial space and has served as exclusive leasing agent for over 7 million square feet of Class A office space on behalf of institutional and entrepreneurial uh, owners. He also mentors uh, a lot of the uh, brokers, both at Cushman Wakefield and otherwise. Alan's also president of the American Friends of Yeshivot B'nai Akiva, an organization which helps support 70 individual educational, I'm sorry, institutions in Israel. And we also have uh, Andy Levin, who's with um, Boston Properties. He's the senior vice president of leasing uh, there, and he's directly responsible for the planning and execution of all leasing and other assets, enhancing activity for an eight-building, almost 10 million square foot office portfolio in New York City. Andy is chairman of the board and president of Creative Art Works, a youth development not-for-profit with a specialty in the arts and a board member of the Grand Central and Fifth Avenue Business Improvement Districts. Thank you, gentlemen, and uh, welcome to On the Mark. Thank you, uh, Robert. Thanks for having us. Now, I'd like to start off with um, a report from Cushman and Wakefield, uh, Alan's company, uh, which talks a little about the market in the fourth quarter of 2020. It shows that vacancy rates at that point are up 15.2%. Uh, asking rents are significantly down to 73.16%. Uh, unemployment in New York City is still, at that point, was 10.6 uh, as opposed to the national average of 6.7. Uh, and the subleasing uh, has uh, increased and in putting downward pressure on rents. All of this seems to show a present situation. So we'll talk about the present first, and then we'll talk about the future. But, um, Alan, what do you see happening with demand in office space going forward? I, I think that um, I think most companies are going to desire a New York City presence. And while many of these companies will be scaling back on the space they occupy, there are still growing companies in New York that will take more space. Um, while a bunch of companies have come out publicly saying that much of their employee base will be working from home for a good portion of the week. I think in the long run, I'm not so inclined to believe that. I think that uh, that will change over time and companies are going to want to see their employees in their office to measure the productivity correctly and to energize them and to inculcate a company culture. 
So I think I think that it, right now it's certainly at a lull, but there are many positive data points that we can talk about as we go forward. And Andy, do you see the market getting any better for uh, office leasing in Manhattan? Well, it depends on depends on what your starting point is. Uh, if you're talking about the demand right now versus what I think demand will be in six months, it's going to be a dramatic improvement. Uh, right now, uh, and for the past, you know, uh, year, um, companies have been out of the market as nobody's sure what's what was going to happen with the pandemic. But I'm trying uh, you know, to compare it. I'm trying to compare it to what it was uh, pre-pandemic. In other words, well, do you see yeah. it getting back to where we were pre-pandemic, or is this going to be a long-term uh, decrease in, in uh, demand for uh, leasing space? I think I think it depends on on whether we're going to have a, a prolong, you know, whether we're going to have a prolonged recession or not. Um, you know, um, that's more general economy stuff. Um, it, you know, uh, as Alan said, there are are companies who have have fared quite well and you know before and during and, and will do well after in terms of technology companies and and, and growth companies um you know I, I do suspect we'll get back to uh you know to a normalized demand um and you know for all the reason alan stated um and you know the just look the bottom line is uh new york uh you know, New York can satisfy the demand for employment uh, and the use of office space. You know, you also have different products in New York. You have higher end product and you have more commodity product. And, you know, you might see a shift from more commodity product to uh, higher end and, you know, um, more holistic, uh, you know, more, more unique product. Uh, but I think in the end, you're going to see demand you know, somewhat normalize again. I, I don't think New York is going to be a, a demand issue. Alan, do you see um, a, a quicker recovery for Class A buildings or uh, the Class B or C buildings? Uh, I think the Class A buildings will fare a lot better. Look, there there is a there's a flight to quality, and uh, when when tenants see an opportunity to lease space in a building that otherwise they were priced out of previously, they're going to take advantage of that, and and with uh, with free rent, you know, the concession packages of free rent and and tenant improvement allowance swelling, um, they're just gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be able to move to better buildings, and I think that the better quality space will lease first, uh, especially if there's a you know the net the net effective rent has been reduced to a number that they're comfortable with, and um, you know I think that that the, the lesser quality buildings that are more commodity type will be the ones that'll suffer. And Alan. The uh, the buildings that uh, that that you're uh, doing the uh, the leasing for, uh, I know in my law firm we have uh, an issue. Do we need more space or less space? Because do we need more space because we don't want people to be so close together, or do we need less space because more people are working virtually? Do you find that um, companies are changing the amount of space that they're uh, requiring per return per? Uh, employee than they did in the past? Well, I, I think there's, there's a balance between maintaining or fostering a company culture uh, and the energy that an in-office experience provides and allowing employees to work remotely. Today, we have a very important uh, paramount work-life balance. So each company is going to decide how it wants to occupy, 
occupy space. As far as how much space companies will occupy going forward, look, most of the deals that are being done today are for less square footage than what uh, tenants previously occupied. Two recent transactions, one would be a Jenner and Block, a law firm that moved to 6th Avenue from 3rd Avenue. They moved to 66,000 square feet from 79,000 production in, in space. Jenison Associates moved to 121,000 square feet. They were in 166 previously, so there's a 25% reduction in space. But by the same, at the same time, there are firms that are continuing to grow. Houlihan Loki expanded when they renewed their lease on Park Avenue. Uh, Seifarth and Shaw, a law firm, um, and they renewed this space. They kept the same footprint. And I just heard this morning that Blackstone leased an additional 80,000 square feet in their building. So we're seeing data points now that you know show life in the market. And I think that there is some. I, th I think that there is. Sorry, Andy. I think there is some pent up demand. I think that There's, many financial. That's been a trend. That's been a trend, though, Alan. Right. Um, yeah. I think you know we've seen over the past five years. It really depends on when the last time you moved is. You know, so General Block hasn't moved in ten or fifteen years. It right. would make sense that they went from you know from uh, larger square footage to smaller square footage because every law firm that moved, you know, in the past five to seven years did the same thing. New York is a in New York is a is a is an expensive market. And people have been reducing this the amount of square footage per employee for years now. Um, mm -hmm. and only keeping the you know the most you know the employees that they need to be in New York uh, in the market. You know, will that trend continue now with 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 some other firms that maybe you know weren't able to achieve that in the past? That might be the case. But, you know, as Alan said, you're going to see others uh, sort of go in the other direction. Um, yeah, I, I think I think what, what Andy said is absolutely correct. I think there's also some pent up demand. I think that there are many financial services or general services firms that had banner years last year. And I think that they're now waiting to see how 2021 and probably more importantly, 2022 shake out before committing to a new long term deal. But, you know, I agree that there, there are a lot of people that, the, the, you know, the, the de-densification uh, has been, uh, the densification, excuse me, has been something that everyone has been doing until now. Now it's a question of, you know, the tenants having a little bit more visibility into how they're going to run their companies. And when they do, they'll decide whether they're going to take a little bit more space or uh, shed some. Uh, Andy, as to um, the, the space that you're, uh, that you're managing, uh, I know one of my clients is in the HVAC business, or large, uh, and the V, the ventilation, which was the stepchild of the business in the past, has now been booming because all these buildings need new ventilation systems and they need to show, uh, put new workspace barriers uh, and more wiring, I guess, for more virtual meetings. Is this something that, that you're finding that landlords are doing in buildings? They're retrofitting buildings with these systems and are they absorbing the cost or trying to pass that on to the tenant? Uh, you know, we, we tend to operate at the higher end. So we're constantly maintaining our buildings to be both, um, you know, healthy for our occupants and efficient for our energy use, um, which, you know, is a, is a, obviously the energy use is, is a growing trend happening in, in New York and around the world. And, um, so we have, you know, there's no change there for us. I don't know what other landlords are doing, but, you know, in terms of air quality and, and um, you know, our advice to tenants is really the more local, the better. 
um, if you're concerned about what's happening on your floor, you know, air purifiers and, you know, HEPA machines on the floor is really the, the, the best way to go. You know, the transmission of anything through uh, a large uh, um, HVAC system is, is not really a practical thing. Um, and yeah, yeah. what do you, Alan, do you, what do you feel that, uh, are tenants looking for other things now in this market? And I'm not talking about necessarily lower rents, everyone wants lower rents, but in terms of what they're getting and are they asking more questions about the building they're moving into? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that, um, you know, landlords, if landlords need to make changes to their building systems to compete for tenants who are focused on these matters, uh, you know, they'll, They'll typically, you know, make the change and put it into the building's operating expenses. So, you know, certainly at the higher end, when you have uh, pass-throughs of these costs, uh, the tenants will bear the cost of them. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced that the workspace barriers are here forever. It might be. Uh, is the mask going to go away at some point? I certainly hope so. Um, but you know, for some, it may not. You know, I, I have, I have a client who, who worked in the Far East for a number of years. And he'd go out for a run in the morning, and when he'd, when he'd be coming back, everybody would be would, ha, would have been masked up. And it seems that the government would send out a message to anyone who was on a local phone network, which my client wasn't on, and they discovered someone at the airport who had just landed with a high temperature and some sort of virus, and they alerted everyone to the fact. They have these evidently they have these huge scanners that measure everyone's temperature when they get off the plane. So I, I think that you know it's going to be more commonplace to be checking for these things. I think that the general hygiene of people today has gotten a lot better. I think the, the, the incidence of the, of the regular flu has dropped dramatically because people are washing their hands and they're maintaining distances between people. So I think that, you know, there's an advantage to it. There's an advantage that's gonna come out of it, even if some of these, you know, some of our common our practices right now don't, don't remain. And the, Alan, 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 you know, what we've seen with our tenants um, is that no one's made a quote physical change to their space. No one's pulled a building permit to change uh, either their ductwork or walls or anything like that. Some of them have made these temporary changes, you know, as you've described, Alan, like plexiglass and people are wearing masks and installing HEPA filters. So, you know, I, I don't think, it, you know, any tenant, at least in our 10 million square foot portfolio, has has you know said hey we really need to change the way our people sit and the way we sort of separate our population right uh, andy the, the the mix of tenants i mean if you're mostly in uh, class a buildings or or better quality buildings uh you know law firms have to stay in new york city uh accounting firms who are working here with offices of staying here, but how about other industries such as in the securities industry and industries that don't have to be in New York? Are you concerned that, that there's going to be a continued exodus from New York City from these buildings to either the suburbs or outside the New York City area that will permanently affect the demand for office space? Uh, again, I'll sort of go back to what I said before. It's, you know, it, New York's a very expensive market and has been for a while and, you know, only those people who feel like they need to or want to be in New York have been in New York for, you know, for the past 20 years. And I, I think that will continue. Um, you know, if you need to attract and retain the best talent and, and you, you, you need a continual flow of younger, younger folks, uh, you know, I think New York is going to continue to be 
the place where you're going to locate a lot of jobs. Yeah, no, uh, I, 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 agree, I agree with Andy. And by the way, I think that Steve Ross of Related understands the bigger picture here. I read the other day that he's starting a political action committee and encouraging other business and real estate leaders to try to join him to impact the next mayoral election in New York City. So people are leaving New York City because of the decline in the quality of life here and, uh, and because of our municipal leaders. If we can change that, I think the city will, will get back to where it was you know, in, the first, in, the, in, the, in the near future. Well, I certainly hope so. Um, yeah. I, I know I have an apartment in New York City I haven't been into a year, but um, uh, I'm looking forward. I always love New York. I'm looking forward to getting back in. Uh, Alan, do you see any change in the uh, lease terms in terms of uh, the length of the leases that uh, tenants uh, are looking for? Are they looking for shorter-term leases to see what happens or longer-term leases? Yeah, I, I think that... Um I think that a lot of tenants today, if, if they don't have visibility into where, how they'll be occupying space and when they're going to be bringing back their employees and how their employees are going to work in the office, I think that, uh, you know, those people have, if they have a lease expiring, are going to try to make a short-term renewal uh, just to buy themselves more time to really have a better indication as to where they're going to be. But there are many companies uh, that have weathered these storms before. Um, particularly some not-for-profit organizations, which are uh, something sort of counter-cyclical because they've been around for 100 years. They're going to be around for the next 100 years. And they know that this is a good time to be, this is a tenant's market. You, like you mentioned earlier, you've got a vacancy rate of over 15%. That's a strong tenant's market. So they want to capitalize on it. And, and firms and, and organizations that have been around and know that they're going to come out of this and know that they're going to, they're going to be on the other side of it are, are going to look for bargains today. And, and they will go long. But anyone who really doesn't have visibility into how they'll occupy the space, I think, are, are, are looking for, for shorter-term opportunities. And if they have a lease expiration, they're going to look for some sublease, a short-term sublease, and capitalize on, on lower cost of those things today. Uh, Andy, I don't know if this is uh, done, but uh, you know, I think landlords and tenants were, uh, were taken by surprise by COVID, and no one had insurance for it because it seems like every insurance policy – had some type of pandemic uh, exclusion. Are, uh, are landlords now getting uh, pandemic uh, insurance, pandemic protection insurance? Is that something that's out in the market that landlords are looking at? Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I have uh, I've not heard of the creation of it yet, um, but this sort of reminds me of uh, you know, post 9-11 and everybody was talking about terrorism again. Right. Uh, and there ended up being a government uh, solution to that, uh, you know, in terms of TRIA. So uh, I suspect that, you know, you know, landlord and landlords and tenants will have, you know, certain levels of coverage. Uh, and then I assume uh, there you know, potentially would be a government program that would sort of backstop that, um, you know, going forward. Because I think you, you, you're right. It's, you know, everybody's pointing fingers like, you know, you should be responsible. Uh, ultimately, we, you know, neither the tenant nor the landlord has control over that issue. Right. Uh, yeah, but a Andy, I, I think you're seeing today attorneys sort of pushing that issue in negotiations. They're looking to cover their tenants. And at least in, in the instances that I've been involved with, landlords have been receptive to because they want to make the deal uh, to allowing tenants some sort of reprieve in the event that this happened again, or if this got worse again, or something like that. So, 
<clears throat> you know, I, I negotiated a lease with, with a, a particular lease with a, an attorney who was a very bright guy, and he actually covered in the force majeure, uh, under force majeure, a government shutdown. So, you know, we had a little bit of an argument with the landlord, but in the end, the tenant received free rent for the period of time that they were not allowed access to their space because of a government shutdown. See, I think that today- if, if that's yeah. true, if that's true, then the landlord's taking a, a big risk unless the landlord can get some some either insurance protection for that or, uh, you know, because they're facing, they have their own costs. I mean, you know, a landlord, it's not pure profit. They have uh, the, the cost of maintaining the building and they probably have uh, mortgage costs for the building. So uh, that kind of leaves the uh, landlord in a bad position to agree to that term without having some protection. Wouldn't you agree, Andy? Thank you. Thank you. Sound like my attorney. Well, um, I, I think, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, Alan, you know, those discussions, you know, are you talking about COVID nineteen? Are you talking about the next pandemic? No, are you no, talking, no, are, you, no. are you talking about the, you know, the near term? Are you talking about capping it at a certain amount of time? You know, we've seen it more on the retail side than we've seen it on the office side, uh, and it also depends on whether uh, you're talking about the, the tenant's rent commencement or, you know, their their ability to build out their space or whether it's in the future after they've already occupied. So there's many nuances to all these, all these discussions that, uh, that come up with related uh, to that issue. Yeah, no, the, 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 the instance that I was talking about actually was a tenant who was on one floor and was in the process of building another one. So that, that, that just, it was, I, I don't know whether it was an oversight by the landlord's attorney counsel when the lease was originally negotiated uh, six years ago, five years ago, um, but, you know, today, I, what they're talking about today is getting some sort of reprieve. I think that you're right. At a certain point, a landlord can't let it go on forever. Um, but, uh, you know, I've seen certainly more movement today on that with landlords who are looking to make a deal uh, and are anxious to, you know, ac accommodate the tenants in some regard because the tenant just says, look, I, I can't be exposed this way again. The, um, according to uh, Cushman and Wakefield's uh, market beat, subleasing is uh, on the uh, uptrend and is putting a lot of downward pressure on rents. Uh, Andy, do you, uh, do, do you allow tenants more liberally now to uh, sublease than uh, you did in the past because of the situation? Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any change in our, uh, our you know, stance on subleasing. Subleasing is a part of the market. It's, you know, it's a part of most tenants' leases and, um, you know, we um, if the tenant comes with a subtenant, we're going to follow the process and, and help them get that done and and welcome their subtenant into our building. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think this has uh, changed uh, any any anything in the way we treat uh, our tenants and, and their subtenants. So you don't let the tenants off the hook if they agree to a subtenant. If if you agree to a subtenant, normally the most leases that I know of. The tenant is still on the hook if the subtenant doesn't pay. You don't. Uh, you you maintain the same policy. Yeah, Alan, do you sure. see any any greater increase in the the demand for subleasing as opposed to leasing because they're usually shorter term deals? Um, look, there's always going to be a need for short term built space, and when when I say built, I mean built nicely and amenitized with furniture and Wi-Fi, etc. So, um, you know, while some of the office players in the office suite business have overextended themselves, there's a niche for that, and there's a real demand for that type of product. So I think that 
tenants are always looking to limit their out-of-pocket costs. Um, and if they're comfortable with a shorter term opportunity and they're comfortable with their sub with the financial wherewithal of their sub lessor, so that doesn't get them into trouble. Um, they're going to capitalize on, you know, the tenant who has a, a short term left on their lease is going to take a, a real, it's going to be a real reduction in what they're going to be able to get, what they're going to be able to get as, as sublease rent. So I think that tenants are going to take advantage of that today. Some, the, the, the less, the poorly built spaces are not going to go. No one's going to move into a, a poorly built sublease just because it's short term and it's ready to go. I think that landlords today also, and Andy, you can speak to this. Landlords today are actually agreeing to build space or amend space for tenants' occupancy with a much shorter term on the lease than they had in the past. I think because they realize they have to be competitive on, on that on that on that level. What do you, do you agree with that, Andy? Uh, yeah, we're we're certainly offering more flexibility in term. Uh, Alan, there's two reasons for that. One, uh, you know, tenants are looking for flexibility, and two, we think that you know the market will improve, and maybe we don't want to go so long term. Uh, you know, but if the space is built right, um, you know, well configured and, and nicely appointed, you know, we'll have a have a second shot at it as well. And do you find that uh, uh, different parts of the city, whether it be uh, downtown, midtown, midtown south, are recovering in terms of rentals at a, a quicker rate than other parts of the city? Either one of you. Uh, I mean, we don't have a lot of property downtown, from, but from what right. I understand, I think the activity in Midtown is better. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, that's somewhat flight to quality and it's somewhat um, the type of firms uh, in Midtown. I think some of those employees are, are coming back to work a little bit sooner um, than I think Midtown South uh, or downtown. The, the funny thing about the pandemic and what's happening in terms of people coming back to work is I think you're seeing the, the front office for the, you know, the, the earners or the producers actually coming back to the office sooner than some of the, the back office or support folks. Um, and I think that, uh, that, that, that might be what you see in terms of between now and September um, because the, the, uh, the support folks in the back office, they tend to have longer commutes and they tend to take public transportation and they're still, some uncomfortability around that. So we're, we're down, I, I, I believe Midtown is more active than either Midtown South or downtown. But what do you think, No, Andy is correct. I agree with him. There has been significantly more sublease space added relative to the size of the market downtown than has happened um, in Midtown. And I think, Andy, you know, a lot of tenants had moved downtown to begin with because of the cost savings. And with the flight to quality and rents, you know, uh, rents being reduced somewhat, whether it's 10 or 15%, um, and just the, getting a much better concession package, I think the tenants will be just as happy to live in, in, in Midtown, provided that they don't have a large constituency of, of employees that are coming from Brooklyn or that live downtown. So then, you know, they, they may have a little bit more of a reason to be down there. But uh, yeah, the market in Midtown is, I think, uh, certainly stronger now than the downtown market, it seems that way. And Andy, let me ask you about uh, building uh, financing, dealing with uh, banks. Are, uh, is it becoming more difficult to get financing for buildings because of the uncertainty of tenants paying rent or the problems with tenants paying rent? Has that become an issue? Uh, again, for us, it, it hasn't been an issue given the credit quality of right. our you're, uh, you're well capitalized of our portfolio. We're, yeah. both, we're not only well capitalized, but yeah. you know the profile of our tenancy in our buildings tend to be yeah. higher, higher margin, you know, higher higher credit tenants. 
you know, if uh, if you got a building that's a huge percentage of uh, of retail or you know co-working, you know, you're going to have a, I think a different experience. So it all depends on how much vacancy you have, what your rollover is like, what your credit, you know, and then you know what what the what the property needs in terms of capital improvements. So it, it's hard. It, it is hard to I would say generalize, but I, I think the the other piece of it is there's a whole lot of capital out there sitting, you know, waiting to to sort of go into uh, some of these investments as well. So uh, I I think that you know the banks are for the for the better product. I think the banks are very very accommodating, and the, you know not only banks but the financial uh, providers. Do you do you find Alan? Do you find that um, that landlords are uh, are uh, being uh, squeezed? On both sides, from the tenants not paying and the and the banks wanting to be paid, or that's not a problem. Yeah, no, I think Andy will be able to speak more from the from the position of landlords. I, I think that landlords who have a single or uh, or two lenders, as opposed to being in a CMBS situation, mm-hmm. uh, will have a little bit more flexibility. But that you know, tenants are definitely trying to to capitalize, and they're going to squeeze landlords. And those landlords that don't have high basis on their buildings and can afford to get them in, um, I think that they're going to they're going to react because they they realize that they're in competition for it and they don't see you know while there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I don't think anybody can tell you how quickly the rents will rise again to pre-COVID levels. I think that they're interested in filling their buildings and the, as Andy said, the better the quality tenant, the better the better the financial wherewithal of the tenant, they'll get a they'll probably get a little bit of a better deal too. Well, let me ask you to do a, uh, both of you to do a quick prediction. Right now, uh, fourth quarter, two thousand and twenty, uh, according to Cushman, vacancy rates of fifteen point two, and the average asking rent uh, in a Class A building smaller than I thought it was at seventy three point sixteen. What percentage do you think that the vacancy rates are going to go down and the asking rents are going to go up a year from now? Where do you think we're going to be, Andy? Where do you think we're going to be? I think, you know, up through July, maybe to September, you're going to see, and it's not necessarily vacancy, it's availability. Right. I'm, vacancy, sure, vacancy, yeah. vac- vac- I'm sure vacancy is probably, you know, probably like, you know. Availability uh, is, a, is a nicer way to say vacancy. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Well, no, availability is vacancy plus right. space that's expiring within that's the true. next 12 months yeah. that doesn't have a commitment to yeah. it. So uh, I think you're going to see it continue to rise through July, or September, and then start to come back down again. So I think this time next year, it'll be up, you know, um, it'll probably be up. And asking rents are tricky because, you know, uh, you know, I think you're going to see some newer space come on the market, which will have higher asking rents. Um, and I think you're going to see some other people bring their asking rents down. So, you, you know, I think all in all, you'll, you'll probably have lower asking rents, you know. Hmm. Demand is only one side of the equation, right? Supply right. is the other side. And yes. there's, you know, there's been some some added supply on the market over the last few years and some of that's continuing. Um, that combined with some of the, you know, efficiency and assembly space will, will probably expand the supply side of the market, so. Well, um, Hudson Yards yeah. itself is probably putting in a tremendous, uh, increase in supply and there's some other large developments. So I would think supply is going to push uh, the, the uh, asking rents down. Wouldn't you say, uh, isn't that true, Alan? Well, I think that one of the things, you can, you can only predict supply. You can't predict demand. 
Right. So, and, and what Andy was saying was that I'm not sure, we're not necessarily sure that the increase in supply will necessarily lower the asking rents because the supply that may be added to the market may come on at 85 or 90 or, or more dollars per square foot. So that will artificially increase the asking rents. But what landlords and, and smarter brokers and tenants are looking at is the net effective rent. So while landlords are, are you know, may try to keep their asking rents up, they will do, they'll, they'd rather absorb the one-time cost up front so that the rents are higher for a renewal or some capital event in the future. So do you think vacancy rents are going to go up and down a year from now? I, I think I agree with Andy. I, I, grant, I agree with Andy. I think that we still have the vacancy will still, uh, the availability rate, I should say, right. will continue to rise a little bit. Um, and then asking rents, you know, I think, you know, it, it could be a little flat. It could be in either direction. I don't think it's going to change materially. I think that just, you know, there, there, are, there are opportunities out there where landlords are asking $75 a foot, but they're willing to transact in the 50s. So, you know, the, the, the asking rent is a little bit of a misrepresentation as to really what the market is. And that, that's really on a building by building basis, you know, so. Yeah, I think one of, the, one of the things that some of the brokerage firms track are the, the spread between asking and taking. And I think in these times, you see that, yeah, as Alan points out, you see the spread widening out. Right. Well, I think that's about it. Is there anything else either we want to add? I think we're, we've covered a lot and I think it's been really uh the only thing I, the only thing I'll add or and I think is important I, I think that that we're looking at first of all we believe in New York we believe in San Francisco we believe in Washington um, and we believe in Boston you know the, the gateway cities uh, the places where people will want to live and transact and, and and you know and be a part of it again we, you know people will come back and and I think they will be robust again. Um, but we're, but we're not, you know, we're, we're not resting on our laurels. I, I, you know, as a company, you know, we, uh, we've always had the, 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 the three main tenants of location, space, and place. Um, and for each one of our properties, we want to have those three qualities. I think what's happening, you know, in, in the future and, and what we're trying to partner with our tenants on is experience. We want the experience of coming to work to be, uh, to be worthwhile. Um, you know, not only more efficient and more productive when you come to work, but more enjoyable, you know, so, you know, that's with maybe food and beverage and, you know, maybe you're going to, you're going to get a workout either closer to or right in the building that you're working at, um, and, or, you know, some kind of program or presentation. So, mm -hmm. you know, adding that experience piece to our high-end portfolio, we think makes, you know, makes it more compelling for companies to say, Hey employees come to work it's going to be better for you not only from a work perspective but from a life perspective it's worth the commute of, of coming to work so that's well, what I, that's what we're, we're focused on yeah. Alan, i noticed yeah. yeah i noticed andy that the cities that you uh, that you have confidence in you have assets in this. <laughs> yeah a lot I, of coincidence I, I actually, <laughs> yeah I, I mean i actually I, you, there's there's been a there's been a run-up in in the in the rents in a, in a in a significant way in miami right now I think that, you know, that's what a lot of people have been talking about. So I believe in that city too, but I, I agree with Andy, New York will come back and it will be strong. Uh, it probably would help if companies encourage their employees to come back to the office sooner rather than later. Obviously it's a very difficult thing to do because it's a personal situation and people, you know, but once more people get vaccinated, it would be helpful if business owners thought of ways to incentivize their people 
to return to the office, which would in turn lead to restaurants being full and, and the retail picking up somewhat. And then the city gets re-energized and, and then it's off to the races and it flourishes again. Well, with that, uh, I'm going to end it, but uh, that's an optimistic tone. And I hope that uh, we're all there and a year from now, this is all going to be in the rearview mirror and uh, New York will be where it is uh, pre-pandemic. Thank you both for participating. Uh, this is Howard Rubin on the mark. If you have any questions for our um, participants, uh, you can contact me and I'll certainly put you in touch. It's H-R-U-B-I-N at G-O-E-T-Z-F-I-T-Z dot com. And I want to thank uh, both uh, Alan and Andy for participating today. And um, uh, we look forward to this uh, new and better world post-pandemic. Thank you both. Thank you, Howard. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. Bye.